Marjorie would determine as the doctor was walking up towards them if they were over 35, she would introduce herself as Woody Guthrie's widow. And if they were under 35, she would introduce herself as Arlo Guthrie's mother. This is the podcast for Hopes, the Huntington's Outreach Project for Education at Stanford. In each episode, we share stories that shed light on the history and current issues in Huntington's research. I'm Sammy Potter. Today, what do we do when we find out a loved one is sick with a rare degenerative disease? And how has the answer to this question shaped the HD community and the fight against HD that we have today? Rare diseases often become well-known to the public, or at least more well-known to the public, through a celebrity championing the cause. ALS had Lou Gehrig, Parkinson's had Muhammad Ali, and Huntington's disease had Woody Guthrie. Best known for hits like This Land is Your Land, Woody Guthrie was a prominent American folk singer and political activist from the 1930s to the 1950s, whose influence still has a stronghold on musicians today. But this story is as much about Marjorie Guthrie, Woody's second wife and eventual caretaker, as it is about Woody. My grandmother, Marjorie, was a dancer in the Martha Graham Dance Company, and Woody was singing with a group of musicians in New York who had playfully named themselves the Almanac Singers. That's Anna Canoni, granddaughter of Woody and Marjorie, and vice president of Woody Guthrie Publications. She's talking about the year 1942. Marjorie was performing with the Graham Company all around the country, and one of the other Graham dancers named Sophie Maslow had on her own decided to choreograph a piece, and she called it Folk Say, and it was based on the music of Woody Guthrie. When Sophie and Marjorie found out Woody was living in New York, they rushed over to the Almanac House to ask if he might perform live to accompany the piece. She had imagined him as a tall kind of country cowboy with a Stetson hat. And when they knocked on the door at the Almanac House where Woody was living, he was a small five foot six man with you know, a little twinkle in his eye and his facial expression looked like he was about to ask a question. Just the polar opposite of what Marjorie had a preconceived notion of what he would look like. But she says it was truly love at first sight. Legend has it that in that moment, Marjorie leaned over to Sophie and whispered, I'm going to marry that man. And she did. There was about a 10-year period where they were just a young couple in love. They had some children. They lived in Coney Island, where my grandmother always uh, jokingly, playfully suggested that Woody felt comfortable because it reminded him of the Dust Bowl in Oklahoma. Woody stayed home with the kids and wrote songs in his autobiography, Bound for Glory. Marjorie toured with her dance company and taught classes. And for a while, they were happy. But then, in the early 1950s, Marjorie began to notice some changes in Woody's behavior. Woody was walking along the boardwalk in front of her. And he was walking a little lopsided. Like, it looked like his guitar was strapped onto his back, but his guitar wasn't there. Just walking along a little off kilter. Didn't quite know what that meant but she recognized it. Though Marjorie didn't know it at the time, Woody was exhibiting a common symptom of Huntington's disease, chorea. Abnormal, uncontrollable, or irregular movements. And what started out as slight chorea quickly devolved into mood swings 
violent outbursts. He couldn't seem to control his emotions and his body. Soon, it got to be too much for Marjorie to handle. He had gone after one of the children. He had physically tried to hurt one of the children, and she was there and stopped it, so no one got hurt. But all of a sudden, she had trusted him to raise the children. And all of a sudden, she went, oh, I can't trust you. And he had come after her and physically violently, and she called the cops. And by the time the cops had arrived, he had calmed down. And she said, I just, I'm sorry, Woody, you got to go. I don't know what to do, but I have to work. We have three children who are all really little, and I don't know what to do. So he went out to California to try to figure stuff out. And so he went out to California to try to figure stuff out. Huntington's disease, at the time referred to as Huntington's chorea, was a very unknown, not well-defined disease at this time. When Woody was finally diagnosed with HD in 1952 after multiple misdiagnoses, he took off to the West Coast to live with friends and grapple with the reality of this disease. He lived among actors and creatives and even briefly remarried. All the while, though, he kept in close touch with Marjorie and the kids. They remained a family in their own way. As Anna puts it, When Woody left, it wasn't because of lack of love. But then, Woody took a turn for the worse. His symptoms became more extreme, and while trying to light a fire, his chorea caused him to burn his arm with a kerosene lamp. Two years after leaving, it was clear to Woody that he must return to New York for health care, where he was treated at Greystone Park Psychiatric Hospital in New Jersey, Brooklyn State Hospital, and eventually Creedmoor Psychiatric Center in Queens. You might notice that these are all psych hospitals. This wouldn't be proper treatment today, but at the time, HD was largely regarded as psychological. Marjorie and the children would go out and visit him and have picnics and really make the best of it. And some weekends, he would come home so he could hear the sounds of the children's laughter and the music. Marjorie worked tirelessly to care for Woody as best as humanly possible. Marjorie had to get really creative, and she would sew elastic into his pants so he didn't have to fumble with the buttons. She would put him in work boots so he didn't have to fumble with the shoelaces. And they just kind of lived that way. Surviving, inventing, having to get creative with an illness. But over time, Marjorie's frustration with the medical system grew and grew. About a year before Woody passed away, when he was in Creedmoor Hospital, Marjorie met with the doctors and said, you're telling every family with Huntington's that it's hopeless and helpless. Why is that? What's the answer? Why is it hopeless and helpless? And they said, to be honest, we just don't know enough about the disease to be able to find the right treatments that are helpful. What we really need is more patients. So Marjorie got straight to work. She put an ad in a New York paper and said, if you know anything about Huntington's, please call me. A few days later, one guy in the New York area whose wife had Huntington's got in touch with Marjorie. Then another. Then another. They sat down, oh my gosh, look at how many similarities we're finding. And she did that week after week after week until she had enough people who could come together in a group and say, what are these shared symptoms? The doctors don't know enough. What's your experience? How can we help them? And that became the grassroots version of the Committee to Combat Huntington's Disease, which was officially formed September 18th, 1967. Two weeks later, on October 3rd, Woody passed away. Huntington's had taken the ultimate toll on Marjorie and her family. It was at this turning point 
that Marjorie made a decision. She would devote her entire being to leading the fight against Huntington's. What started as a small group of families sharing their stories with one another blossomed into so much more. And so she found all these families and patients. And then she went back to the doctors and said, okay, I got you all the patients. What's next? And they said, well, we need more doctors. You know, we need neurologists because this is bigger than what we understood it to be. And now we need neurologists. She said, okay. And she took her little banner that said the Committee to Combat Huntington's and she went around the world for 10 years at neurological conventions. Marjorie was scrappy. Day after day, she approached doctors and stakeholders and asked them to join hands with her. She believed completely in her mission and she did not take no for an answer. Marjorie would determine as the doctor was walking up towards them if they were over 35, she would introduce herself as Woody Guthrie's widow. And if they were under 35, she would introduce herself as Arlo Guthrie's mother. She would take in every neurologist who would give her just a glance and try to convince them to direct their field of study to Huntington's, which she was incredibly successful at. She convinced doctors to research Huntington's. She spoke with HD families, medical students, local and state legislative committees, congressional committees in D.C., and all the way up to the tip-top of government power. She helped organize a group of rare diseases. And she took all of these groups and went to the president. The president at the time was Jimmy Carter. She was able to help get legislation passed. And she went city to city, town to town, to anyone who would listen, who would give her the time. She would talk about Huntington's. She would talk about these rare diseases. Marjorie helped pass legislation that raised millions of dollars to research Huntington's and other rare diseases. She consulted for HD organizations around the globe and wrote extensively on the impact HD had on the Guthrie family. With all the progress Marjorie Guthrie helped make in battling HD, I wondered what Marjorie was most proud of. Bringing people together. It was organizing people and finding the commonality between them all. That was her gift. She created a community. It can be said with confidence that without Marjorie and Woody Guthrie, the battle against HD would not be nearly as far along as it is today. Unfortunately, she passed away very young um, at the age of 65 from cancer, and she wasn't able to see all of the incredible accomplishments that have come from what she started. The Committee to Combat Huntington's Disease was later renamed to the Huntington's Disease Society of America. A few months after Marjorie passed away in 1983, the HD gene, Huntington, was mapped to a human chromosome, which paved the way for scientists to cite CAG repeats as a cause for Huntington's disease. Whether it's Nancy Wexler and Alice Wexler and their Hereditary Disease Foundation, whether it's HDSA, whether it's all of these research hospitals and centers of excellence all over the country, whether it's other doctors who have come together who created a collaborative effort towards a cure and making a difference. Marjorie is in all of that. This podcast features Anna Canoni, Woody Guthrie's granddaughter. For more information on the Guthrie family's contributions to Huntington's disease or to contact Anna, visit www.woodyguthrie.org. I'd like to thank the Hopes Fund and Stanford for their support. If there's anything related to HD that you are interested in hearing about on the podcast, let us know in the reviews. I'm Sammy Potter.